About 10 years ago, a Chicago man named Dan Brown invented a new wrench. He called it the bionic wrench. It's a gripping experience. Dan's wrench caught the attention of a couple of people around Chicago. One of them happened to be a producer at the Chicago Innovation Awards, a yearly awards ceremony that recognizes innovation in Chicago business. Dan's bionic wrench took home the 2006 Innovation Award. The other person who noticed Dan's wrench was then-Chicago Mayor Richard Daly. Daly liked to meet with Innovation Award winners, so when Dan goes to the mayor's office, he brings his wrench. Daly asks to take a look, palms the tool for a second, then looks up at Dan and asks if it would be possible to develop a version that would make it easier for firefighters to open hydrants. Not long after, the bionic hydrant wrench was born and went on to receive national recognition as an important life-saving tool. For the past 15 years, Chicago Innovation has been collecting stories like Dan and his bionic wrench. Every year, companies from one-person startups to giant corporations come together to celebrate the very best of Chicago's innovation and business leaders. If you live in Chicago, these are innovations you use regularly, maybe even every day. A tiny little 12-person company called Groupon. The CTA Bus Tracker. I'm Jesse Batend, and on this podcast, which we're calling Innovating Chicago Style, we'll be taking a look at some of those stories. With each episode of the show, we'll take a deep dive into previous Chicago innovation winners. We'll find out what got them there, and explore how a great idea is only the first step to profitability. We're talking ingenious, forward-thinking, and disruptive ideas with a dash of celery salt. This is Innovating Chicago Style. So what exactly is innovation? What criteria are these companies being judged on? Well, we'll get to that. But first, it's probably helpful to get to know the guys behind it all. The Chicago Innovation Awards got started back in 2002 by two guys named Tom Kuzmarski and Dan Miller. At the time, Tom was teaching product innovation at Northwestern's Kellogg School of Management, and Dan was the business editor for the Chicago Sun-Times. Just to give you a sense of the kind of big-picture guy we're dealing with here, one of my favorite stories about Tom involves a company he founded with NASA. If you do an experiment in, in, on the space station um, or the space shuttle, you don't have gravity pulling down on you. So what types of experiments could lend themselves to that type of an environment. And what we identified was that cell tissues grow faster in microgravity. Tom saw an opportunity and partnered with NASA to create a business called Stelsis. If you break your knee, you can now send up uh, uh, cell and cartilage from your knee up in the space station. It now grows a lot faster. The vascularization process is a lot faster. Comes back down and then you've got the replacement in uh, like one-tenth of the, the amount of time. Back to 2002. The dot-com boom was over, the dot-com bust was still looming over the country, and Tom wanted to find a way to support companies that were getting back on their innovation horse. Here's a clip of Dan and Tom from an interview in 2010. The Chicago Innovation Awards began when Tom Kuzmarski approached me as business editor of the Chicago Sun-Times to do a profile of one innovative company in Chicago. I was tired of hearing about Silicon Valley being the source of all innovation and technology. And I said, Tom, that's a great idea, but let's do 10 companies in different sectors of the Chicago economy. So I decided it was time for us to celebrate in our own city all the great things that are occurring. And the guys have never looked back. 
Just between the nominees for this year's awards alone, we're talking about nearly $4 billion of revenue, which has translated into nearly 15,000 new jobs. But the stakes are still high. Winning an innovation award is a lot more than just a pat on the back. The top 100 nominees get recognized with a full-page spread in Crane's Chicago business. The winners in each category get to meet with the county board president, mayor, and governor, just like Dan and his wrench. But maybe most potentially life-changing for a small company is the chance to ring the NASDAQ bell in New York. The whole deal is televised. Your company stands at a podium. Dramatic music starts to play. The screens behind you start flashing numbers, counting down to the end of trading. Then, it's the opportunity to literally stand in front of all of your competitors, all of your potential partners, and say, yeah, we made it. So, with a better understanding of just what's at stake, I decided to go check out the 2017 nominee event to get to know some of the people behind these companies. All right, how's everyone doing tonight? Pretty soon after arriving, I bumped into Ray Boyer, a communications consultant with Chicago Innovation, and at the moment, the proud owner of a giant smile. This is unbelievable. This is my favorite event. This is sort of, oh yeah, yeah, this is sort of the ultimate networking event. Uh, It's just getting started now, and it's a full house. By the time this thing gets rolling, people are going to be literally elbow to elbow. You'll have a hard time moving around. You want to have people to talk to, you'll have them all over the place. These are some of the most interesting, creative people in the Chicago region. You got them all right here in this room. As I started to talk to people, I realized a lot of these interesting, creative people were trying to tackle some of the biggest issues facing future generations of not just Chicagoans, but the entire planet. About this time, I looked around and noticed that Ray Boyer was right. The place was filling up fast. It was like a 45-minute wait for the buffet. He was not joking when he was said shoulder to shoulder. We literally bumped into a lady handing out complimentary mints. Oh. Yeah, oh, oh. <laughs> we're, we're trying to figure out how many people are here. How many mints do you think you've handed out? Well, I have about 500. Okay. I've given out about, I want to say 125. Okay. My co-worker, another 125, so like three, 400. So there's like 300 people here with bad breath. Yeah, 300. <laughs> I like that uh, audience tally by mint I'm not sure if that's innovative or not. Is it innovative? Innovative? Maybe. Accurate? Not really. Turns out the actual number was about 800. There's one last thing that happened at the nominee event that I wanted to mention. See, Tom Kuzmarski, who's been at every Chicago innovation event for the past 15 years, had missed the two previous events after a freak accident with a falling tree. That's not a joke. Well, at the nominee event... Tom made his great return. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back to the stage our fearless leader, Tom Kuzmarski. 
In case you haven't noticed, I'm a little bit different than a, a few months ago. But I'll tell you what's still the same. It's still the same up here. And right here. And it's and and now there's tears covering. Oh my goodness gracious. And there's tears because I have such a love for all the great innovators in our wonderful city, for all of the supporters of Chicago Innovation, of our wonderful staff, and everything that makes this city so great. What was obvious was how much this guy means to this community and how much this community means to Tom. So back to the definition of innovation, because it can be a little bit tricky. At some point in this podcast, you might have thought to yourself, hold on a second. Who are you? Why are you talking to me about business? And you know what? Fair point. My background's in radio. I'm way better at storytelling than selling. So I enlisted the help of a couple of guys who can get me to the bottom of what makes an idea truly innovative. (laughs) Our first expert is this guy, Tom Statt. I um, uh, literally wanted to be an astronaut um, when I came out of high school. Uh, This was right around, I'm going to date myself, but around the time of the uh, first landing on the moon. And uh, I was pretty deadly serious about this. Tom Statt even went to the same college as Neil Armstrong. But in the end... It wasn't meant to be. One of the reasons was I got too tall to be an astronaut <laughs> at the time. So it turned out there was actually a height restriction. What's too tall for an astronaut? Six, I think it was six, it was, it was av- Navy, Navy aviation rules of like six foot one and a half because if you were any taller than that and you uh, punched out or ejected from a, from a fighter jet, you, you would leave like parts behind and they weren't real big fans of leaving parts behind. Ooh. So your legs got too long. So anyway. The other person helping us break all this down is Mike Bechtel. Tom's work is about divergence. It's about, it's about thinking of possibilities and then thinking of more possibilities and, and, and putting together non-obvious connections. Yeah, he's a renaissance man. He, he's an if I remember right, you know, architect slash designer slash psychologist and, and then some. Yeah. Mike was the first person in his family to go to college. He wasn't sure exactly what he wanted to do, but ended up graduating as an anthropology major. 1998 comes along and it's not exactly raining anthropology jobs. It was, however, a fact of the economy at that time that if you could, uh, if you could spell www. Congratulations, you're an internet technologist. (laughs) So I took a job with Accenture. My job was to sort of separate wheat from chaff and figure out which of the harebrained, earth-shattering novel schemes from our PhDs could actually save or make my clients money. There, Mike became the global innovation director. Uh, I developed a little bit of a knack for uh, picking winners, as it were, Uh, but maybe more importantly, helping early-stage winners uh, win big. These days, Mike's the co-founder and managing partner of Ringleader Ventures, a venture capital firm in Chicago. But before that, Tom Statt and Mike Bechtel actually worked together. Tom's responsibility was helping helping our clients uh, sort of get from zero to one, uh, taking the, 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 the woolly world of possibility and ambiguity and uh, extracting an idea or specifically a business idea that, that had merit and, and that could be, dare I say, innovative. And uh, I, I worked on the other end of the process. My job was to help our clients uh, take uh, 
baked ideas from one to 100, uh, help them figure out how to scale their, uh, their young businesses. And, and so uh, I think in, in, some ways, uh, in some ways we're a complementary pair. So let's get into this. Innovation, what is it? Well, for our other Tom, Tom Kuzmarski with Chicago Innovation, it comes down to four main points. The product or service you create has to be new or at least demonstrate a new benefit. It has to find a way to stand out and differentiate itself from its competitors. Now, obviously, the most direct way to do that is to invent something, create something completely and totally unique. But it's not the only way. An innovation doesn't have to be an invention. In fact, a lot of the time, they're just a tweak, a small change that ends up massively altering the way that business gets done. For Tom, iPhones and light bulbs are not inventions. They were iterations. Steve Jobs and Thomas Edison took existing technologies and modified them to fill a need. There's this cheesy but useful Henry Ford quote, right? If I asked my customers what they wanted, they would have told me they wanted a faster horse. Ha ha, clever, clever. But but there's a truth there. Yeah. If Steve the faster Job, horse would have been the invention. Yeah, right. Exactly. Bingo. Right. The car would have been the innovation. Yeah. Indeed. A lot of the time, the big payoff is in knowing what people want before they want it. They're almost always um, seizing a bigger opportunity around some unmet or unexpressed need that um, people wouldn't have been able to voice. You know, like nobody, nobody ever really needed an MP3 player. Uh, you know, nobody needed a $5 cup of coffee before Starbucks. Nobody needed a new g- search engine before Google. Even Uber took people by surprise. I mean, the world was perfectly comfortable with a bunch of cab companies. Actually, let's talk about Uber for a second. You want to have your mind blown? Uber is basically a cab company, and they own zero vehicles. And that's a trend among some of the most successful innovators. Commerce website Alibaba owns zero inventory. Airbnb owns zero hotels. Here's one that'll really make you think. Facebook, your little blue window to the great wide world. This thing that demands about an hour of your attention every day creates zero content. So in order to be really innovative, you kind of have to make something that people don't necessarily want, or at least don't know that they want yet. And that gets reflected in the judging. In order to be considered for an innovation award, ideas have to show that they have some kind of impact, either in dollars and cents or by creating some kind of social change. By the time a company is being considered for an award, they've already survived the toughest judging process of all, acceptance in the marketplace. A big reason why an award show like this is necessary at all is because of the risk involved. It turns out, Most of the time, the thing that's stopping innovation is fear of failure. Interestingly, most of the the big innovations uh, rarely, if ever, involve the prevailing players. Otherwise, it would have been Sony that did the iPod. It would have been Hyatt or Marriott that did did, uh, Airbnb. Uh, And the the story goes on and on. You know, Tom, I, I, uh, I see the same thing. I call it the curse of comfort. They're... guiding guiding motto might as well be, don't mess up. But at the same time, that curse of comfort, it creates opportunity for the rest of us. And for all those little guys going up against the established players, the need to innovate 
is literally life and death. You know, the, there's this thing called the Red Queen phenomenon from Alice in Wonderland, right? Where the Red Queen has got Alice by the hand, and they're 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 running, 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 and Alice remarks that it seems as fast as we run, we 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 it feels like we're going backwards because everybody's running faster. So this Red Queen phenomenon is um, ubiquitous at this point, and and it may seem like you're, you know moving into the future pretty quickly, but if you're not actually making it, you're forever behind. Coming up on this season of Innovating Chicago Style. Did you wonder what was going on? Oh, of course we did. But then Dan heard from a customer who noticed something, telling him there was now another wrench with what appeared to be a similar mechanism on the shelf at Sears, but this one made in China. It's a knockoff. There's no question. Innovating Chicago Style is brought to you by Chicago Innovation and Rivet Radio. The Chicago Innovation team is Luke Tannen, Avery Stonefish, and Mitch Huffnagel. The show is hosted and produced by Jesse Batend of Rivet Radio. Special thanks to our resident experts, Tom Statt and Mike Bechtel, and of course, Chicago Innovation founders, Dan Miller and Tom Kuzmarski. For more information about the show or to find out how you can attend one of our many events throughout the year, visit chicagoinnovation.com. Innovating Chicago Style.